Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 206th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's going to keep untapping your wallet. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin on Twitter. My co-host this week is uh, Cliff Daigle, Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, do you think Magic is the best game? Uh, clearly. is. Can Name the games that you've played for 20-plus years. I mean... I'm I'm playing devil's advocate, but I'm on your side. I, well, okay, I, I, I had to go to bat for it this week. Someone had brought it up, and I said Magic was... Like, even though I don't play as much as I used to, I still think it's the best game that exists, and they were kind of taken aback by that statement. Well, clearly that's somebody who doesn't play Magic. I mean, there's there's board games whose design goes back, like and other like games like Don't Break the Ice and Kerplunk are two of my kids' favorite games. Uh, I do want to find whoever invented Uno and set them on fire. I'm really tired of playing Uno. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. um, like the fact that magic exists as it did and as it will and as it does, like it could end tomorrow and we would still be able to build cubes and come up with formats and do all kinds of wacky shit. So clearly uh, I'm going to come down on magic is the best game ever with a close second not really a close second, but an admirable second would be probably Mass Effect 2. I'm definitely not going to name any Final Fantasy games. Mass Effect 2, the second one. Mm-hmm. That's very second specific. One. Well, um, please forgive my text message, Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I mean, I could get into this if you want to. This is a, a treatise that I haven't had a chance to expound on. At length, this is probably a, a 30 or 40 tweet thread. You get 30 seconds. It. You get 30 seconds to defend Mass Effect 2 as the best game ever. Okay, the moral choices make a difference. The combat system is phenomenal. It loses that uh, crappy uh, overheating thing, which I never really liked. It doesn't have the stupid uh, wield thing. It takes everything that was good in the first game and makes it better. Each of the missions is a tight little like 30-minute thing. So if you've got time, you can blow through a bunch. If you've got only a little chunk of time, you can do one and feel really great. The characters are all clear, and I think I got five more seconds, uh, and it, it's all great. It's a game that I could go back and play a bunch, even though I know how it's going to go. Okay. Uh, I mean, I guess I don't disagree with any of that, although I am kind of curious about... Like, I don't, I don't disagree with that, but does that make it the best game? I think it's one of the best video games ever made. And like, I guess we could get into like game versus video game, but as like a narrative experience and a playing experience, it's something that I enjoyed thoroughly the first time and I could play it through. In fact, I might go set up a new playthrough pretty soon and <laughs> it would be fun. Well, sorry to do that to your free time. Uh, I, I did enjoy those. I thought they were a lot of fun and I thought they were one and two 
in tandem were some of the best Western RPGs that I've played in a very long time. Um, I guess, you know, if we're talking about best game ever, I, I have to imagine there are probably some small games that execute their purpose flawlessly. Um, and one example that comes to mind, not necessarily as a game that did this, but that, you know, I, it can illustrate my point as a game called Jungle Speed, which is it's a tabletop game. Um, it's an agility game. It's a, so you have to see matches on a table, kind of like the game set. Some people might have played the board game set. But you see matches with your opponents, and when you see a match, you uh, everyone dashes for uh, a totem, an object in the middle of the table, and tries to grab it. And whoever grabs it first wins. Uh, and it's simple. It's f- easy to teach. It's easy to understand. And we have been playing it for years and years and years, and everyone loves it. Now, do I mean like clearly the game doesn't have the like. No, it's it's a lot of fun to play when you're having a couple drinks on a Saturday night. It's not magic, but it's executes its goals so well that it's kind of like a well is this the best game because it manages to meet the couple goals it sets for itself so perfectly whereas magic is just such a sprawling game yeah but when um with magic i think that one of the the really great things is you can define the experiences you want and you can set it to be that so you can make your commander deck tell the story of Moses and the 12 plagues in some way. You can uh, build a cube that uh, only has uh, guys who look like they've taken steroids. You can um, play with cards only reprinted in 1999. You know, there's, there's so many ways that you can play it. I feel like that flexibility being built into it is what's going to always make it you know the top contender even though it doesn't have such a a narrowly defined focus you're right there's probably a lot of games that set set a goal and you do the thing and it's exactly what the designer had in mind um that's interesting and then it just makes me sad to think about how many games i've never played and like we'll never even know about it's like all the good music out there all the good books out there how am i going to consume all this awesome content <laughs> well uh yeah i mean the important keep in mind there are there is no good music music is just all bad so you yeah, shouldn't worry about that uh, all uh, right thank you for that moment of uh nihilism uh, mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool and nerdy stuff in stock including the best in magic the gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance five during checkout at cool stuff inc to save five percent on your order and support this podcast cliff what are our listeners getting themselves into this week this week, we're going to start off with the top movers of the week. We've got uh, a spicy little dozen or ten or something like that of cards that have really jumped in price. Segment two is going to be uh, your picks, my picks, and a special Discord contributor member who I'm upset I didn't think of this card, quite frankly. Uh, mm-hmm. Segment three, we're going to talk about PT Phoenix, which just went by this past weekend. And then our uh, weekly topic is going to be uh, how the price of a foil is now like very different than it was two sets ago. Would we say two sets ago or three sets ago? Uh, Let's just say recent history, I think. All right. Recent history. That's even better. So that's our, that's our plan for the day. 
Okay, cool. Uh, all right, so let's get started here. Segment one. Uh, first card, SRAM, Senior Edificer. I don't like his name, by the way. SRAM. It's awkward to say. SRAM, Senior Edificer. Uh, out of Aether Revolt, non-foils, uh, like 450 to maybe 6 bucks or so. So not a big jump, but this is definitely on the back of that uh, really cool Orzhov Auras deck that Kenyuki Hero was playing at the Pro Tour last weekend. Um, I like that quite a bit. That was a, a fun-looking list. So uh, I don't think we really saw too much of it at PT Phoenix, though. So I don't know if this is really going to go much further. Well, a topic that's going to come up again and again uh, this week is, uh, are we going to see some more bans? And uh, if one or two of the top decks catch a ban, the Orzov deck looks like it's in a good spot for that, or is it just a good metagame call against these Inverter and Lotus Breach decks that are looking to combo off and don't care what you do while you're looking to wreck them in the face for 20 damage on turn 3 or 4? Because you drew fifty cards and you have all the glitters and all the goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I I wouldn't fault you for selling. Um, I guess you could probably hold here, but that that definitely feels pretty greedy to me. Uh, yeah, uh, I I probably wouldn't be holding too many of these. It fits too well in too many different themes. You know, the the reprint risk is high this coming year. Yeah. So if I had copies that I had gotten. You know, back during Ether Revolt, I would probably be unloading them uh, as quick as I could. Yeah, I guess my my real concern is that uh, the deck I think is did really well, did quite well at that Pro Tour, but I, it's probably too hateable. You know, if someone wants to beat that deck, I think they have the tools to do it. Um, and the reason, you know, Ken's a master, and also no one knew he was going to be playing that. That's a powerful combination of things to be the deck out of nowhere. It was hard yeah. to keep your mouth shut about what deck you were going to play, too. A lot of people were posting what they were going to play way ahead of time. It's probably easier if you don't decide until <laughs> right beforehand. <laughs> true, true. All right. What's next for us? Uh, next up is Embercleave out of Throne of Eldraine. The regular copies have gone from about 15 to around $19, $20. Uh, it's a really great card in standard. It will wreck you out of nowhere. Uh, don't... I mean, it's it's been a card that has gone uh, up in chunks, and now that we're not opening Throne of Eldraine, the question is, how high will this go? Since it was just in Throne of Eldraine, it, it's pretty unlikely to catch a reprint. I don't think I would be selling yet if I had extra copies. I would probably be taking the greedy route. Um, yeah, I'm, we're looking at like a 30% bump this week, 15 to 19 or so, but... I'm I'm with you that that doesn't feel like it's done. Uh, I feel like you could probably get 25 out of this. It's it's um, been doing quite well in standard, and then on top of that, you're getting the you know some pioneer play as well. You know, all all of it looks good. Let's see, what are we at on TCG right now? We are looking at twenty dollar copies and. There's no real wall set up, and it ramps pretty quick within two pages up to 25. Yeah, I I would be a hold. I wouldn't yeah. be selling quite yet. Okay, good to know. Uh, following that is a pick out of James last week, Foil Scrap Heap Scroungers. Uh, five bucks or so uh, up to seven and a half. 
Um, did he, what did he call them? He said, yeah, he said buying at five, he said five to ten, and we're seeing five to seven fifty here for about a fifty percent gain. So definitely some price movement. I've got. Uh, I end up snagging a couple copies in between the recording and the posting of the cast, and I put two of them up. So I'm kind of waiting to see if that goes anywhere. Hasn't sold yet, and that would be about and that would be seven fifty a copy. So. This isn't like I don't think copies of seven fifty have sold, but at the same time, uh, I am not the lowest, but I'm pretty close, and I think that this price is going to stick. Of course, I wouldn't have bought the cards last week if I didn't think that. Uh, the only problem is that Mono Black had a terrible weekend at the Pro Tour, and it it did not do well against uh, the combo decks. Thoughtseize was not enough, and they're going to have to adapt to wrecking a combo harder. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Mono black doing, you know, doing poorly after the pro tour, I think was one of the smaller narratives that come out of that event. Um, and it seems like it is prime. It wasn't a loss of smugglers copter that did it, which some people had pointed to, but looks like it's probably related to the explosion of combo. Um, but I don't think that that is likely to be permanent. Uh, we can dig into that further we're, on. We're, it's inevitable. Um, Next up on the list is Castle Ardenvale, which has gone from around two dollars to three fifty. Uh, it's really great to have a land that churns out tokens. Um, we haven't had a land be good at this in quite a while, and uh, this is just a really great ability for any deck looking to uh, just draw go, any deck looking to stabilize and then take over. Because they don't mind, you know, just playing another land and saying go. That is what every control deck wants to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a powerful land doing good work here. So uh, you kind of wonder about all of these and whether they're going to get there at some point. You know, this is a 65% gain, so it's not huge, but it's definitely... A, clearly the card, like clearly the price is moving because people are playing the card. Right, and they're playing. They're not just playing one either. You're seeing like two or three because I keep forgetting these stupid castles are not legendary. I don't know why I keep thinking they are, or what about my background says these have to be legendary, but yeah. they're not. Play four. There's almost no downside. You got enough planes. Play all four. Yeah, there really is virtually no downside to playing these, and it's you know standard and pioneer too, right? Fifteen. It's 15th highest played land in standard, which is like, whatever, I don't think of that big of a deal, but 22nd most played in Pioneer, which I think is quite relevant. Uh, so, yeah, things are looking good for Castle Ardenvale. This is another one that I would probably... Uh, do I sell? Do I... Uh, That's yeah, trickier. I, mean, I, would um, I don't know. I don't know. That's my answer. I'd have to think about it more. That's always a good answer is to think about it. Right, what's next for us? Next up is Selfless Spirit. Uh, foils and non-foils are looking real good. The non-foils have jumped from $1.50 to $3, a quick little double up. Uh, they Spirits is a real deck in Pioneer, and uh, enough people showed up with it that a copy started moving. And uh, it's... A re it doesn't have hand disruption, but it has creature disruption and spell disruption at the same time. Spell Queller especially looks real good in a format where Demir Inverter, Jason, Jace, 
uh, Thassa's Oracle. All those cards cost uh, four or less, and I won't be surprised if that's one of the next ones to, to have a little jump. Yeah, Selfless Spirit and Spirits in general had a really good weekend. Um, uh, which we call it? Spell Queller. Also, a big reason for that is being able to just nab all those spells. Uh, so, a good move for them. And I think Spirits are definitely going to keep the pressure up in Pioneer. I don't anticipate that deck falling out of favor anytime in the future. Um, Spellcrawler particularly gives the deck some some good flexibility against a lot of strategies. However, I can see that fading over time, just because you're going to end up with more and more powerful things to be doing in the format. And I can't imagine that the spirits will keep like the spirits aren't going to get new tools fast enough to keep up with the rest of Pioneer. Essentially, probably. Um, which it's a mausoleum. Wanderer that has the um, the um, you sacrifice it to counter something unless they pay man equal to the power. Uh, no, Mausoleum Wanderer is one mana. I thought the one mana counter. No, it's it's a creature that you can sacrifice it to do the counter spell. Yeah, yeah, it's sacrifice yeah, so, it to oh uh, unless they pay X for it, it's its power. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I got it confused with something else. Yeah, that's a that's. Like the perfect card against annoying combo decks because you get to apply the pressure and you get to start attacking. And then you add in uh, all the two mana flying lords and you're off to the races. Yeah. Problem is uh, that the inverter combo is two creatures, but you know, you can't have everything. <laughs> uh, all right. So following that is Locust Miser out of Saviors of Kamigawa. Non foil is a dollar to 220 or so. So like a double up. Um, Locust Miser, for those who don't have this card memorized, and, and how dare you don't, it is a 4-mana <laughs> 2-2 rat that each opponent's maximum hand size is reduced by 2, um, which, is, which is an interesting effect. You don't see a lot of that in Pioneer or uh, Magic. I, I, I Whatever. It's definitely because of the secret layer and the new rats. Like I can't imagine why else we would be talking about this card unless something happened in some YouTube channel that I'm unaware of. Uh, nope, it's rats. Okay, so I would probably just if buy lists so. have move, I would ship it to them. Um, other than that, try and ditch these. But I'm not. I mean, you should not be holding on to these, hoping that you're going to get more out of yeah. it on the road. This is definitely a uh, sell into the hype kind of card because nobody's going to remember about rats. Uh, we're going to get a new secret lair drop in a couple days, right? So are we really? Yeah, they announced it. Uh, it's going to be during um, during Worlds. There, this is I have this is a lot. <laughs> it, it is a lot, man. It's a year of reprints. That's what they told us. Strap yourself in. It's a bit. It's just a bit much. It's just a bit much. That's all. Oh, it's only a bit much because we have to keep up with all of it. Uh, yeah, next up on annoying. the list <laughs> is Oriok Salvagers, the Bomberman out of Modern Masters foil copies. Uh, went from around $9 to about $20. Uh, I can't... I know that it's the Bomberman card, but I don't know why that would spike right now. Yeah. Uh, I haven't th been able to... This also showed up three weeks ago. Two or three weeks ago. Uh, and it moved from four to nine, and we didn't know then, and I don't know now. So... Uh, someone uh, what feel new free to zero mana us. artifacts are around? Yeah, I don't, and it's They're not. They're not pioneer not, legal. 
I mean, it's possible mm. that it showed up in modern and I just completely overlooked it, I suppose. Well, the easy thing is we're going to crowdsource this when you figure out or you know why it's spiked. If you bought all of them, uh, then would you let us know and, you know, send Travis a tweet, send me a tweet and keep us informed. So, We'd appreciate a little, little help. Yeah, nothing in modern either. I don't I'm not sure what it is. Maybe. I don't know. Someone somewhere knows. Maybe. Uh, getting to the trial, both non-foil and foils, although this is the non-foil pricing, 4 to uh, about a 10 or 11. Um, this was uh, definitely used by Ken Yukihiro in the Orzov Auras deck, and it's getting picked up by a lot of the white aggressive decks because it allows you to make life miserable for the Inverter and Lotus Breach decks since you activate you ultimate Gideon so you can't lose if you have a Gideon in play and then they now you know they can execute their combo all they want they have to find a way to get rid of Gideon though uh, and that can be very challenging for those strategies at times would you be selling your Gideons right now Travis mm, I'm gonna go with yeah yeah that's a big jump so yes Yes, I would. I think so, too. Um, this feels like uh, not the right answer for Breach and Inverter because you can get rid of it with a bounce spell. It will help. And like it's good to have answers that you, know, you can have two Gideons in play and you're going to feel pretty good about things. But at the same time, like don't forget, you know, Inverter of Truth is a 6-6 six, six flyer. And we'll just wreck your face while you're like, I'm safe behind my Gideon. Um, I think that I would be selling too. And while this is a an answer, uh, we will need to come up with more answers for this combo, for these I, combo decks, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I, I like it as a, an effective hate card because you just plop down Gideon if you plus him. Uh, wait, hold on. Let me check here. You plus no, he's a, his emblem's a zero. Oh, so his emblem's just, a like, zero. Drop Jeez. Yeah, you just make the emblem immediately. Yeah, so, I mean, that's going to definitely make things annoying for at least a turn, possibly two or three, or a while if you've got some other tools. Like, I guess I think of getting as being a fairly reasonable sideboard card against both of those strategies, but it's it's more about its stock is very high at the moment, like in terms of how the, the, with the price movement, that price is very high because people are on board with trying the sideboard to beat those combo decks today. And it's probably only going to wane from here. And this is essentially selling and really, I'm just telling you to sell into the hype. It's not a particularly. That's always, a, Oh, it's never a bad thing to sell into the hype just because I would keep in Ember Cleave. Uh, doesn't mean that uh, selling it at 20 if you got in at 10 is a bad idea. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Uh, Abbot of Carol Keep. Why don't you tell us about Abbot of Carol Keep? You can, you can tell us. Uh, the Abbot is gone from about a buck to three and a half. Uh, Red Dex had a really good showing at the Pro Tour. Uh, it's gone. It's the uh, one where you get a, the play the top card off your, you exile the top card of your library, and you get to play that card this turn. If you play it on, it's a two drop, right? Yeah. Uh, so this is a two drop and you'll get an extra card if you play it and you have already made your land drop, you hit the land. Oh, well, you've still got the three one in play with prowess, right? He's, he's prowess and you get the card. Uh, that sounds roughly familiar. 
Abbot of Carol, keep two mana, two on prowess. When you enter the battlefield, okay. exile the top card of your library. Yeah. You can play it till end of turn. So a fun guy, you get some extra card advantage, and uh, I would be selling into the hype here. If I had non-foils that I could buy list out for two or two fifty, um, I would I would be moving them. There's no point trying to hold on to these. It's good that they're being played as a four of, but at the same time, like this is not a card that's going to reach ten dollars. So take your profits while you can. Yeah, I I. I could see this hitting $10 eventually, but it's not going to be this year and it's not going to be next year either. I don't think it would take a while, you know, maybe once Pioneer had really settled into its stride and you got two or three years out and Abbott still hadn't been reprinted maybe then, but I'm not planning on waiting around to see that. Yeah, that's (laughs) three years. Yeah, right. Like that's at this point, that's an insane amount of time to be holding on to magic cards. It used to be reasonable, but not anymore. So, I uh, yeah, I'm on board with uh, just shipping these and, and moving on because it was a pretty good movement. We got a pretty good movement here, so I take advantage of it. Um, yeah. Uh, finish off the week here with Tome Scour. Looking at foils, it's technically foils out of Magic 2010. Went from like 2 to 750, which is a pretty big change. And I checked Magic 2014 copies, which were also like almost out of stock. They were, the cheapest one was five bucks and there were like five copies or five vendors total. But at the same time, I'm looking at the uh, Lotus Breach decks and they're playing like one in the sideboard. It's not seeing that much play. Like it's one of in sideboards type of thing. And most of them are doing it, but... I, I mean, it's, you know, it's one. I, I don't, did you see this somewhere? Like, did this, unless I'm missing something, because like, it's just like a one of inside boards and they had three printings. So like, yeah, foils are relatively rare. And Tomescour, I think, because it's old, and Tomescour is a popular, going to be a little more popular casually. It's a one mod mill card that's going to scratch the itch of uh, players. Mill tends to be one of those uh, more popular casual mechanics, but uh, this just seems to be somebody trying to clean up. Must have been reason lowish foil stock on three sets, hoping to sell these at you know four or five bucks or whatever. So I don't know. Good luck, I suppose. But eh. yeah, this is um, somebody trying way too hard. Yeah. All right. Let's move on here to segment two. Our cards to watch. Um, all right. So I'm going to start out this week with a bit of a swing. Uh, I'm going to go with Inverter of Truth. And I think probably foils and non-foils are are solid choices here. But I'm going to speak to the non-foils, which are at about seven bucks right now. Um, Now, there are a fair number of vendors of this card at the moment. Like, it's not like there aren't any of this. Uh, It's got something like, wait, hold on, I can pull this up. We're looking at about a, a just under 90 vendors of Inverter of Truth. So there's plenty of this deck on the market, or plenty of sellers with this card. There's also some heavier inventory deposits. Uh, one guy's got 30, another guy's got 100. So there's there's some inventory 100? here. 100? Yeah, I didn't wow. see that. I, to be fair, I did not see that when I was looking. Uh, but you don't have to, you, you don't need all 100 to sell for the price to move, of course. Um so the inventory is a little higher than I tend to speak to, but really this comes down to, I think this is actually going to end up being 
a premier two-card combo in Pioneer for the foreseeable future. Um, Oracle of Thassa is a very powerful card that people are going to want to play both on turn two and as a means of finishing the game. I think that the combo was... I was not high on the combo before. Uh, Before the Pro Tour, I was like, eh. And then after the first Pro Tour, I was like, well, it certainly did well there. Uh, You know, the real test of truth will be how it performs the following weekend. And it did. It it came out swinging very hard at uh, Phoenix. It did well there as well. So I think we're seeing that this deck has kind of become... It's it's a toss-up between inverter of truth combo and and lotus breach as the you know the the combo of the format essentially now i think that inverter and thassa is generally more fair um it doesn't involve cards that are in you know just fundamentally broken the same way that lotus breach does now the demir inverter decks use dig through time um, but they can still function pretty well without dig through time. Like they're going to get worse, but so is every deck that plays dig through time is going to get worse without it. But I think that the combo is still viable without it. L- something like Lotus Breach, I think, is going to be in much worse shape without dig through time. Also, I can see them banning Underworld Breach because that card is dumb and it's always going to be dumb. And as long as it's legal, people are going to find dumb things to do with it. And if someone's not doing something dumb with it now, they will be the next time a set comes out. So. I think that that is going to prove much more problematic on a continual basis than this particular combo is. Uh, so basically, I see I could see Thassa's Oracle and Inverter of Truth essentially setting up shop as something like the Splinter Twin in Pioneer. Um, it's just going to be around a lot. People are going to like to play it. There will be various versions of it. For instance, there's a Simic build that was floating around where people were shoving Oro into the deck. Because And, you know, it didn't really help the combo, but it gave you a plan B in case you were thwarted on your inverter plan. But all of this just kind of points to this kind of becoming a mainstay of Pioneer. And we're looking at a Oath of the Gatewatch Mythic. It's like four or five years old now. Supply is very high today because I don't think the general population has really started to buy into the card yet. But once they do, you're going to see prices move. So like I said, I'm, I'm looking at buying in around seven um and i i think you're probably hoping to get up to maybe 15 so you know we're not talking about a huge jump but i think the opportunity is there over on the foil side by the way you can buy in at 15 bucks and you're like two play sets and it's 17 18 and there's only 23 vendors so that runs out of supply very fast uh, a little riskier there maybe um just you're just not gonna i don't think you'll be able to sell as many but uh i think you're you have a shot on both non-foils and foils inverter here. Counterpoint. Um, you you made some good cases. I, I would debate that it's the Splinter Twin of the format because Splinter Twin required, uh, you know, had you had to keep a creature in play and you had to do things. Like you could respond at instant speed. This combo is two triggered abilities. And even if you counterspell... Like you have to have the counterspell for the inverter, because uh, if it comes into play and then you kill it, they still get to reverse their deck in their graveyard. If Thassa's Oracle comes into play and they have zero cards in their deck, if they tome scour themselves and then they uh, Thassa's Oracle themselves, it doesn't matter if they have no blue pips on the field. X is zero. Congratulations, you win. So I th- I think that 
this is more risk than I would be willing to take on right now until the next batch of bands comes through. Now, you might be right. They might say, all right, we're going to give the meta a chance to adjust. I, I don't know that there would be a window for that to happen. Like, if they go ahead and ban Dig Through Time, which seems silly, like, would they just switch over to Treasure Cruise? Because, yes, you're digging, and Dig Through Time is clearly better than Treasure Cruise. But if your main thing is you're emptying your graveyard for the inverter rather than necessarily the card selection, which is great. Um, the green decks that were, the Sultai decks that were doing the inverter uh, combo got to play Traverse the Uvenwald, which is always a great feeling to tutor up the exact combo creature you need. Um, I, I see what you're saying, and if it survives, this is a, a great pick. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, you're going to feel... Uh, you're going to be sitting there just like I am with uh, 50 uh, Prophet of Crufix that I still have and yeah. will have forever. So uh, the, <laughs> the the Prophet of Crufix was uh, just a beating. That was just a beating. I had some of those too. Uh, like, yeah, I, I don't. I, I get where you're coming from, right? I understand the concern over it getting banned. Uh, I I just. You know, I look at the core of Inverter in Thassa's Oracle, and I don't see that as fundamentally a problem. You have to resolve a four-mana creature, and you got that trigger. Then you have to resolve a two-mana creature. Like you, yes. you have to, you ha and you have to do it in that order. Uh, so you can't even realistically start the combo until turn four, turn three, if you're playing Mono Ramp. You know, if I contrast that with like splinter twin you could win on turn four because you had a three and a four rather than a four and a two uh and you could cast them in the three and the four order and your opponent would pass and then you your opponent could only respond to instant speed for the rest of this which i guess is true of this as well but they only get one turn i just i i don't know i i mean i i don't know where this is gonna go uh of course but my money's on them going after the card in the deck that is, we, it was already banned in standard and modern, and I'm sure had a short, or I think it was banned in standard, had a, no, it wasn't, it was just modern, had a, uh, I'm sure had the crosshairs on it in Pioneer right out of the gate. So if we're going to go anywhere, I would pr expect them to start there. Maybe eventually they ban Inverter of Truth if it's too good, but it seems like at least the first time around they'll take out Dig because the idea of Inverter and Thassa seems like a fine thing to keep in the format if it's not too out of control as opposed to like uh, the alternative being again underworld breach which just seems bad like that i card agree fundamentally I agree underworld breach is, is going to uh, eventually get the hammer as well uh, i think there'll be a, another weekend where multiple pieces of decks get banned and we have the same discussion that's happened like every time in pioneer i just bought into this deck well you knew that when they launched Pioneer, they said, we're not going to do a ban list. We're going to try this out rather than launching like Modern did, where they pre-banned a bunch of things uh, to, to try and even it out. And uh, they are not afraid, and they're not giving us any warning about things either. So uh, I, I respect the, the bold choice here, sir, because if it pays, it'll pay delightfully. Well, if they don't, if if they don't ban it, it will easily double in price. This first ban announcement comes along, people are like I can play Inverter for another 
few big events. But it, I will always be worried about that target. And the minute it jumped up enough to justify buy listing all of them, I would be shipping like crazy. Well, yeah. When do we have? When is the next band announcement? Oh, they don't want to tell us. Oh, yeah, that's right. They took them off the schedule, didn't they? Yes. So we just we're just gonna wait. We we just we just we just find surprise. Yeah, I wonder probably on Mondays. Monday. Hmm. Hmm. Well. I guess we'll find out. All right. So what is your uh, first card this week? My first card this week looks to avoid all of the problem of reprinting entirely. Uh, I like picking up Winding Canyons out of Weatherlight, the reserveless land uh, that lets you play creatures at flash speed. Uh, it's about $16 right now. There's only 35 near mint copies on TCG. Now there's a ton of, there's like another 150 copies that are not near mint, uh, which are, also lovely targets if you think this card is going to be good. But, I mean, it's a reserve list card. And while we are no longer in the summer of eternally talking about etern- uh, reserve list cards, uh, this is great in decks with creatures. And it goes in any commander deck with creatures. And uh, it's one of my favorite cards to play in every creature deck. Because I get to act like I'm a control player with all my counter spells. I'm going to leave all my mana up. You don't know what I'm going to do! So, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm always on board for some winding canyons. Yeah, I, I this is this card's kind of funny to me because we've definitely have picked this in the in the f- four years this cast has been on. It's I've I have definitely picked it at least once, and it's possibly come up twice. And I don't remember what the numbers were when we talked about it. It's, so it's entirely possible. <laughs> I, like I just cannot remember. Uh, so it's possible that like I wanted to go from like eight to sixteen or something like that, or you know eight to fifteen or or something around there, ten to twenty. So maybe this is up from where I picked it. But uh, I mean, the card always looks good because the supply is always low. The price is always tempting. It's in a lot of EDH decks. Uh, the numbers are all great. The like the the only reason I hesitate at all when I see this card is I'm like I know the stupid card I've picked this card at least once or twice this like it just never seems to <laughs> spring the way I want it to so I feel like I've been bitten by it before but it doesn't change the fact that it's very well positioned numerically. Yeah. Now I I am really curious about your pick here and I I can't wait to hear your justification for this. So well, I, want you, I want you to hit me. Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, my other card this week is Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, um, a card some of our listeners may recognize as being like $40 in $40 for the pack mythics right now. So kind of an odd point to be getting in, but I'm looking at the uh, non-foil extended arts right now which can be had for about $45 um, and then they, they jump up. In fact, like there's a copy at 45 and then some copies at 48 and then 50 and then 70 and then they're gone. There's actually very, very few non-foil extended arc um, Uros out there right now. Um, I like the non-foils because this is going to be a primarily competitive card. So all everyone playing standard and pioneer doesn't really want to play like the ability to play this as a non-foil is very helpful, um, especially you know to, for the people who are getting in a, on the long train don't want their foil swart. So that's you know so we've talked about the benefit of the non-foil extended arts in the past. 
It's the eighth most played creature in standard. Um, it's having a good time in Pioneer as well. Uh, it's actually the fourth most played card in Pioneer right now. And I, as I alluded to earlier, it started showing up in Inverter Truth X because it gives them a kind of a plan B. You can't really get away with anything. Uh, you know, if, if they counter your Thassa's Oracle or your Inverter of Truth, you're kind of scrambling to put something back together. But Uro, you know, splashing blue and putting Uro in the stack and giving, uh, or uh, splashing green and giving them some other things to do gives you something else that's going on. Uh, you know, you can plan to escape it too because you're milling yourself, which is a lot of times what combo decks need to make that turn from like decent one event deck, like decent combo deck to, you know, pillar of the format is can we take this combo and hybridize it with something a little more stable and more mid range that is going to do a good enough job on its own harassing opponents that then gets backed up by this great combo. And uh, Uro seems like it's going to be a good direction for that deck to go. Um, so my picks were kind of in tandem a little bit this week. So you're looking at very low supply on the extended art Uros uh, at 45 and under 50, essentially. So, you know, if I'm looking for this to go to 70, 75, I mean, I have to sell one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 copies on TCG player and it's $80. So I don't think that's too much of an ask here. Um, the, the, Fascinating thing is that uh, the Theros collector boosters are not selling as well as the uh, Eldraine boosters for reasons that I'm still looking into. Um, you can get collector boosters on a box of collector boosters on eBay for like 180, 190 with with free shipping, and um, it seems like this is getting opened less. So I'm you've you've talked me into it it's popular enough it's got a year and change of making standard uh a ramp format and uh you're right that the inverter decks are just gonna like play that your your growth spiral has a six six in the late game attached to it and the life game like it's it's all it all comes together really well in this annoying package and i i know i said this before the cast but what the hell with this being the same two colors as fucking Oka was. Like, I, I, my brain cannot handle the fact that they were going to do two mythics in these colors, the same color pair, like one after the other. It can, two years of just that, that level of domination, like somebody really, really needed to kick somebody else in the face. Well, they uh, needed to make sure that uh, Oka was going to get played. So they printed Uro to back it up. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> I I just need to lay down for a moment now. Uh, I I'm on board. Buy this card. Um, okay. That's good. <laughs> oh, I need to make sure it gets played. You look at you. You're just trolling me like nothing else. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh yeah. Someone also started playing it with an Teferi Time Reveler, which was only a matter of time. Uh, it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to take these insane three drops and shove them together. And you're very, it's a different problem. Mm -hmm. It needs, needs a swift kick in the face too. All right. What uh, do you got for us on, uh, on your last pick here? 
My other pick this week is The Great Henge, the Mythic out of Throne of Eldraine. Uh, pick whatever copy you want, whether it's non-foils, whether it's extended art foils or extended art foils. Um, the cheapest one, the you know regular pack art, uh, has gone uh, up to $17. It was uh, about $5 less a month and a half ago, uh, two months ago, and it, the upward trajectory is not really going to change. This is one of the best things you can be doing in Commander. Uh, it's popping up in Pioneer, and um, if you have never had the joy of having this card in play, you are missing out. Um, it's pretty rare for a card that's so new to be in so many decks on EDA Trek, but it's already listed in 4,000 decks there. And um, if you want to buy the the most uh, rare version at uh, nearly 100 bucks right now, I think that's a great buy. If you want to buy the most common one at 17 right now, I think that's a great buy too. I think those will get up to $25 sometime within the next year. And uh, I'm more advocating this in terms of like, buy your copies for your commander decks right now so you don't feel dumb having to drop 25 or 30 bucks on a card where you're like oh, i meant to buy that and i just didn't and i hate myself for it because that's that's money i hate spending that i know i could have gotten away cheaper you know <laughs> yeah 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 for sure uh i am definitely a fan uh three weeks ago i picked the ex four weeks ago i picked the extended arts for it to go from 25 to 40 um looks like they're about 28 29 right now so it wasn't too far off the bat uh prices haven't moved too much yet but i i i'm with you like i think all the and i think at the time when we recorded i said hey look all of these are valid choices um all, all the versions of Greyhound essentially are valid choices that you can make money on each of them uh just going to kind of depend on and which version you want to go with but i agree that that's only really only got one place to go uh and 25 is probably the the low uh expectation for the buy price the only thing that would concern me i guess is we've got that green commander thing coming up later this year and they they might sneak it in there like i, I could maybe see that uh i'm not putting anything past wizards like um i, I always go back to uh they did uh, Iona in uh, Modern Masters, and then the From the Vault Angels, like one on top of the other, just making sure that she would never have a high price again. Yeah. So, um, I, if they reprint it in, I don't think it would matter much at all, quite frankly. Um, like somebody's signature spell, so Garuk's signature spell book would have uh, Great Hinge in it. Fantastic. Um, it hasn't. There won't be enough copies there to budget much. Uh, there's still going to be, uh, it's still going to be one of the best things you can do in green. And if the price does go down, that's just going to tell me buy them up like crazy while they're cheap. Right. I mean, what that's going to do is it's just, it's going to prolong the trajectory, but it's not going to make it, it. it. It's not, yeah, it's not going to ruin the pick. It's just going to take a little bit longer. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, let's move on to. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I gotta do our listener pick here. Um, this one comes from Animus, and uh, he was the only person that sent me a pick this week. I'm guessing the only person that remembered that James wasn't going to be on the cast this week, which is why he's the only person that messaged me. But uh, <laughs> he went with Castle Embreath. 
uh, mid the long pick out of Eldraine. Uh, and he's looking at a dollar fifty to four. So Castle Embereth is the red land. Obviously, we're all familiar with Vantress and Lockthwain and those guys. Castle Embereth uh, gives creatures you control one O until end of turn. And he's saying it's a four of in the you know the chonky red decks in Pioneer. It's a two of in the standard red decks. The supply is quite deep, and uh, it, he says that the supply is deep, and he's right, it is deep. Uh, but at the same time, you're you can buy copies like they're a dollar, and then they're shipping on top of that. So if you find any vendors with a couple copies, or if you're buying something else, you can get copies at a dollar. Other ways, wise, you'll probably pay about a dollar fifty a copy. And he's shooting to get out of these around four to five. The the real item here. Uh, and the reason that I was like, okay, I will, I will put this on the list for this week, is that CK's buy list is a dollar seventy. Like you, the TCG low on this card is seventy cents. There are multiple copies on TCG Player that cost less than CK's buy list by almost a dollar. The shipping is what gets you, Ooh. but they're there. Ooh. So CK is aggressively buying this card right now. So clearly, there's buy list support, which is always a really good indicator. For cards like this now I, I will tell you that i'm sort of luke i'm lukewarm because on the one hand the buy list is excellent but on the other hand the supply is quite deep so maybe this is just a case of ck being sort of like not having paid attention uh and having left their buy list a little too high but i'm not sure what's your read on this well um again not legendary and it's it's free money for mountains, you know. It it's the ability to play this gives you something to do with your mana if you flood, which red decks are always looking for. Um, CK's buy list being that much higher, like I get I get chills whenever there's just like free money, and I'm sad that I can't just like drop ship things to Card Kingdom's buy list. Um, but at the same time, I I can't argue with the number of decks that are playing it. And if I can get in at a buck and I know that um, cart, I've got at least one out, even if it doesn't pay immediately, like what's this going to be uh, in six months when uh, red decks have got that many more tools to play with? And uh, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of this one. Like I said before, I wish I'd thought of this card, quite frankly. It doesn't seem like you have too much to lose here right and i mean really it's always a lovely feeling you know if you're paying a dollar 25 a dollar 50 a copy like how low are those buy lists realistically going to go i mean i can't you know they're probably not going to be much less than a dollar and that's if the card falls off the face of the planet for the most part so i guess given where buy lists are today and how safe you are since you're buying it so close to the floor it seems like it's not guaranteed to get there, but at the same time, the risk is very low and the reward is potentially solid. Yeah, especially because um, in Standard and Pioneer, you're not playing singletons of this. You're probably, you know, in a mono red deck or a nearly mono red deck and you're jamming the, the full set. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Good okay. job, Animus. Good job, buddy. And I think you won $25 worth of credit, but uh, we'll have to check on that later. So no promises. 
Let's move on to, yeah, right. Segment three of our metagame week in review. Pro Tour Phoenix, uh, another pioneer, the second weekend of pioneer in a row. Um, won by a, God, this mouse is giving me such a fit. Corey Burkhart um, won it with the inverter combo. Yeah. Uh, inverter and then Breach, some red deck wins, Salty Delirium, Bant Spirits, another Inverter, another Lotus Breach, and tops out with Blue White Control. Although the best Dax page tells quite a story with Breach, 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 Black Aggro, Orzhov Aggro, uh, Inverter, Inverter, Red, Delirium, Breach, Blue White Control, Inverter. So Lotus Breach was everywhere, and these were all 23 point decks. Um, that was definitely the deck of the weekend uh, with how well Lotus Breach did. And I, I mean, I, I, I think they're going to ban Underworld Breach is my expectation here. They might do Dig Through Time first, but this deck only plays the one. And it's uh, an annoying combo to interact with because it's a hexproof land and you're in Pioneer. So there's, you know, there's fewer options. I, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to imagine them letting this deck go, especially because the play pattern's really obnoxious as well. What's your take? Um, I can't argue. I think I've written three times since Underworld Breach was printed. I don't know how long this will be legal in X format because it's just so, so good. Um. I would be intrigued if they decided to do something weird like ban uh, Jace, the Wielder of Mysteries, because he's how you win in two of these decks. Now, the Inverter deck has the backup of Thassa's Oracle, but um, Jace gives them two ways to win after you've switched your library and your graveyard. And maybe they think, oh, well, both these decks want to empty their library and then do this thing. Well, clearly we've made this thing too easy to win with, with this Planeswalker because Fey of Wishes lets you, um, the Lotus Breach decks are all playing with the Wishboard and they just go get the Jace and they play the Jace because they've got rules and rules of mana. Um, both these decks require uh, redundant numbers of uh, combo of counterspells in order to stop them. And... Um, I I think they're going to come down on Breach and Dig Through Time and Inverter, to be honest. I don't think they want to leave anything standing. They're just going to burn it all. I, they don't, I, I, th I think they don't care about the, um, the blowback from people who are like, you banned my deck again, because that happens every time. And it's, it's honestly just part of what pioneer is until they get it more figured out i mean in the first few years of modern there were some really problematic things like uh the eggs combo second sunrise i i think that that was part of pioneer's identity i think it's less so now that was sort of pioneer in 2019 where you had like okay well you know we're just gonna pioneer existed for like two this. months in 2019 what are you talking about yeah and that and there was a ban update every week like that mm. was that like up until the period between announcement and the changing of the frequency of the ban announcements was the like real wild west. Nothing can be counted on. They've moved past that at this point, I think. 
Uh, that's not to say they won't still fix things, but they're not banning cards every week. Thank goodness for small favors. Although it might sting less if they were still banning cards every week. Um, do you think that there is a, a finite amount of times they can do the ban the best deck before like they, they feel like they can't do that to players anymore? Or... Um, like who does it hurt when they ban the the clear best deck? It it, it hurts the doesn't really hurt the pros. It's not like they're spending their lunch money to pick up this playset of Demir of a of Inverter of Truth. But do you think there are enough players who just like run out and buy the best deck and then get pissed off when it's uh, banned a month, a week, two months later? I I don't think that's happening too much. The types of person that would be happening to are the type of individual who is pretty connected to magic and wants to play, but doesn't play as much as he wishes he did, essentially. Um, You can't really have a pet deck in Pioneer is the thing. You can have a pet deck in Modern or in Legacy, but at this point you, you had to pick something relatively obscure and just keep playing it. Rather than like ha- rotate up into a top tier deck, yeah, I, I I don't I I know that that's happened. Uh, I have I follow Derek Madlam on Twitter, and he's gotten angry about it like three times. And <laughs> I kind of like told he used and he used to write for us, and I kind of told him like uh like this is this is kind of on you. They were very very clear about what they were going to do, and if you don't want to put up with that, like that's totally fine. Like it's it's a reasonable thing to not want to have to to deal with that with your with your magic decks. Uh, so don't buy Pioneer cards yet. Like, just wait. Um, <laughs> but we're past that now, I think. So that's not to say they're not going to make changes. I just, it's, I don't, I think that the, it's, the format is quickly going to shed its appearance of constant yeah. adjustments. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. We'll see, right? Like, I mean, I these ban announcements are notoriously difficult to peg specifically. Um, I feel like there's not a lot to talk about here other than Breach and Inverter. There really isn't. Um, Mono Black um, did have one person do well, but mostly it did badly. There were some good red decks. Um, the Wizards... Um, did you see the post earlier that like uh, Frank Karsten isn't allowed to do analysis after this? Yeah, yeah. Like there, that that strikes me as a silly ass attempt at a solution on things. Um, but Ooh. that's that's not to say Wizards doesn't do silly ass things. Do you remember when they did when they t- said the same thing to Seth Saffron? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, and for for our listeners who might not recall or weren't around at the time, um, Saffron Olive used to post matchup grids, and he would, you know, here are the top 10 decks in the format, and here are their win percentages against the other nine decks in the format. And they were useful, and they would really illustrate quickly, like, oh, it turns out this deck that, like, I thought was kind of middle of the pack is actually nuts. But Wizards asked him to stop doing that. Uh, now, which is kind of, which is kind of funny because he can all the data is still there. They can still do it. It's just now instead of everyone having that information, it's just Seth and the guys at Goldfish. Uh, <laughs> just like Carson can still do his stuff. It's just rather than everyone and all, all, rather than all the Channel Fireball readers knowing, it's just Frank. 
uh, I don't care for that strategy. I don't like the technique of just not letting people know things as a means of curating your format. Uh, they did it as well. Now that now that we're talking about it, I'm reminded again with the MTGO uh, daily right. list because the five they used O's, to, yeah, yep, they used to post every single five O deck or every deck that five O'd in a league, which was great because you could essentially just go count. Well, how many times did this deck show up? And that would give you a sense of its dominance. Well, then they switched it, so now that list is curated. So you can look at it and go, okay, well, you know, there's a couple Okos in this humongous 5-0 deck dump, but how many Okos are in the 5-0 list that weren't posted? Was it every single one of them? Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't care for the direction they're going with this, but it is the direction they've taken. They've made that clear three or four times. Yeah, they're they're trying to prevent the format being solved. The problem is, is that you're dealing with gamers whose mindset is literally this is a problem to be solved and you're you're not going to win this in the long term and really just like you said um the information's out there and the question is uh who is going to write it for each other is there somebody who's um got a certain patreon tier where you can get this data what would you pay for that data mm-hmm. you know <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a real pejorative, too, by the way. What is? Gamer. Is it? Okay. Well, that, that's our that's our mindset. We, we literally let gamer. off talking about the, the greatest games here, Travis. I don't yeah, know but, what other adjectives you want me to apply. But ga- gamer is a pejorative, and it's a deserved one. Like you should, you I will should give you that it is... If somebody calls you a gamer. I will, I will take that. That is truth. Um, <laughs> what, what, what word should I use, then? Uh, we are puzzle solvers. No, 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 no. You're still the people are still gamers. It's just that's an insult. Like it's it's not it's not in in an inaccurate term. Uh, I feel like I'm immune to being called a gamer. It, it, you can you can directly draw a line between like actually, you know what? I'm gonna not make the joke I was gonna make and just say let's move on. The, yeah, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. There, the Orzov uh, aggro deck uh, also showed up, had a good run in the hands of Raja Suleiman, and I'm sorry, I know I pronounced that wrong. Um, I noticed two of those Scrap Heap Scroungers in there. Uh, this is just like a mid-range Orzov deck, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I would love for um, New Thalia to, to make an impact. Uh, that's a card that always seems like it should be played a lot more than it is. Like your their creatures and their non-basics come into play tapped. Um, yeah. there's your Gideon Alley of the Trials in there, so showed yeah. up in this build as well. Uh, Four history of Benalia. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, that's spicy to see in Pioneer. I, I'm loving those Heart of Kirins because I've still got a collection of those that I'm uh, waiting to get paid on, and I just these I just need these decks to kind of keep showing up with it, keep keep doing well with it. People are going to buy those cards, and I'm going to get there, and it's going to feel good. What did you buy uh, hearts at? I've I've already buy listed mine at like five dollars. Uh, I paid fifty cents. Or so. All right. Well, the, you were just you're gonna go to Hawaii off that. Good job. I think yeah, I got a hundred and fifty of them. I think it was like a <laughs> hundred English and fifty Japanese. I think it was right. It was like right when the Pioneer announcement came out, and uh, it was like smugglers' copters were already really expensive. Like the smugglers coppers were moving and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, but I, um, 
Yeah, there were there were probably a couple points where I was supposed to out out it, but I was very greedy, and I'm going to continue to be very greedy on this. I, I had to look up this card, um, Glare of Heresy, the one in a white sorcery from original Theros, like exile target white permanent. What white permanent do you think he was worried about? Uh, Gideon Teferi. I guess it's sort of Teferi. A it is kind of a catch-all. Yeah, Teferi seems pretty good. Catch-all um, cards. That's all it catches. That's true. Uh, the Fort Pioneer doesn't have Path to Exile. That's why um, Oro's not making a big splash in Modern yet, because Path is everywhere in Modern. Right. Uh, what else is the top deck? Uh, I do like seeing a uh, blue-white control with uh, the four Azorius charm. That just takes me back. That's a, that's a personal like trip down Nostalgia Lane. Where I've got an answer to your early creature, or I'm just gonna cycle it and draw another card, and I'm gonna cycle my sensor and just opt and just do nothing as long as I possibly can. Oh, now you're talking about my 20s. <laughs> mine too, brother, mine too. Uh, was there anything you wanted to add about the Pro Tour? Uh, do you hate having draft as part of it still? I mean, I think limited magic has always been a bad viewing experience, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Uh, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, uh, overall, I think I think one of our takeaways here is the deck. The format was clearly run by breach and decks, to a lesser, yeah. yeah, yeah, both combo decks essentially. So it's hard to pull too much else out of this because they are putting such pressure on the format like yes mono black torpedoed and uh maybe one if if they toss lotus breach and hit dig through time and kind of leave inverter in the format but weekend like maybe black comes roaring back like that's a possibility but at the moment i think the format isn't is it's just worse it's worse than it was heading into the pro tour weekends because until breach gets banned it's seems like that will probably set the tone for most events. It's going to warp the format at least. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Do you, what would you say the percentage is that there's zero bannings in the next month in Pioneer? Zero bannings in the next month. Uh, probably pretty low. I, you know, I did say that this, it's not the Pioneer is moving away from being the Wild West, but they, I think they will still, be relatively proactive in trying to shape it. So I don't think, whereas Lotus Breach might have been the type of deck to get a little more leeway in modern, I don't think they're going to let it go in Pioneer. So well, Lotus Breach, it, uh, Lotus, uh, there is a Lotus Field deck in modern, right? There's a, a Twiddle deck. Oh, yeah, almost certainly. I just mean, like, if, if Pioneer didn't exist and you saw this deck oh, yeah, yeah. in Modern, like, you know, in, within that context, they would probably be inclined to let it go a little bit longer than they would be to let it go in Pioneer. All right. I'm with you on that. All right, let's 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 hit our segment four, our topic of the week. Um, we've seen a pretty severe flattening of set foils in Theros. Um, and if you give me a moment, it's a good thing I can edit this cast and uh, take out all these breaks. <laughs> Why but would you? It's let's honesty. Take, let's take a look here. So Seth, Seth Renal tweeted about this uh, earlier today. 
and he posted uh, heads up lists of the foils from some of the most expensive cards in the set in out of Theros. So yeah, okay. So like Uro is forty dollars, and pack foils are forty one. Heliods <laughs> are eighteen fifty and twenty one. Nyx Bloom Ancients are twelve fifty and twenty two. That's a big jump. Thassa is fifteen and seventeen eighteen. Um, Kroxa is nine and thirteen fifty. Dryad of the Ilzian Grove is eight and twelve. Um, Elspeth is seven and nine. I mean, so these are the non-foil and foil prices I'm listing. I mean, seven dollars for Elspeth versus nine dollars for foil Elspeths as what is essentially the banner mythic in the set. I mean, that's a really tight spread. And then the alternative here is Guilds of Ravnica. So Assassin's Trophy at 16 non-foil and 34 foil. Um, Vraska 13 and 26. Uh, Arclight Phoenix 10 and 25. Now, I don't recall whether Guilds of Ravnica was the updated foil printing rate. I don't think it was, right? I don't I think, think so either. I think it was Carnival um, Drain. Uh, I no, think it had to start in the summer. It was that. a it was a core set. I think it was a core set. Yes. I think it was core 20 was yes, the that... updated drop rate. Okay. Now, oh, okay, so I have to do some on the fly math here, on the fly research. Well, um generally speaking, the foil prices were usually 2 to 3 times. That was your general indicator of what it was because there were two versions. You either got the regular or you got the foil. And uh, occasionally you had something with like uh, an FNM promo or um, a judge foil or something. But usually um, you could gauge the playability of a card in commander versus standard based on the, st the foil multiplier. Like when um, History of Benalia was like the premier standard card out of Dominaria, then the foils for that were only like one and a half times as much. Like if the original was 20, then the foils were 30 because nobody was playing History of Benalia in their commander deck. Whereas like foil Tatiova was like 13 times as expensive as her regular. Or um, all the sagas have that going on too. All the sagas from uh, Dominaria, they have a much higher foil multiplier than you would originally respect and expect. And I remember that from a, an article I wrote, I think, last year at some point. What I didn't expect to happen in the um, in this with the collector, and this is all the fault of the collector boosters, because now we have four versions of a card. And players are free to pick whichever one they want. And you referred to this earlier with the extended art non-foil uh, pick of the Titan was that you can make your deck a little more unique. You can go for the rarer version of a card. You can do that bit of showing off without foil warping, without like worrying that your four foil Titans are going to be the marked cards that get you uh, a game loss or a deck, uh, a, a disqualification. 
So there's that level of things. And now you have like a true like super mega rare to chase in the full art foil, which if there's one thing crazy commander players like to do, and I do not accept myself from this, is they want the rarest version. Like, oh, you got a foil one? Oh, that's sweet. Oh, you got the full art foil? Oh my God, dude, that's so pretty. So yeah. There's, all right, so Ajani, Strength of the Pride, Core 2020. Uh, Non-foils are 13. Foils are 17, 18. So we're looking at what I say, 13 to 18 there. Yeah. Uh, Cavalier of Thorns, we're looking at 13 or so. Oh, this is going to give me a hard time. 13 or so to... Uh, I mean, I'm seeing copies at 14, but that doesn't really seem realistic. They jump up to 17 pretty fast here. Um, Kethis, we're looking at... Let's see here. A dollar fifty two bucks or so to seven or eight. So that's a pretty big jump. What's Kethis? Which one's that? Kethis is the uh, junk three four legendary spells. Costs one less, and you can play like you mean, spells. You mean uh, you mean Abzan Cutler's brother? Junk is an indicator from at least fifteen years ago. Thank you for giving me that trip down memory lane. You're welcome. Um, and then uh, I got one more. Saurian Imperious Bloodlord, uh, about $12 or so for the non-foils and foils at like 18 So definitely a tighter spread than those Guild of Ravnica cards. Um, less, much less than two to one, but we're not on, they're not on top of each other either. Yeah. Um, the, and that's a spread that um, when you don't have the collector boosters, that's what you'd expect for cards not that don't have a huge commander appeal. Like, Kethis having that huge gap is entirely because of... Well, no, because there was... I think he got are, like, on combos. a lot. Yeah. From Pioneer, I think he got spiked on a lot. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I, I've know, been trying to figure out a, a ratio that, like, would tell me that something has a greater or lower appeal. So I haven't gotten there yet. I don't have enough data for that. And if somebody else figures it out first, I'm going to be irritated. Well, this is not going to be uh, settled tonight, right? Like this is this is yeah. bigger than that. I think that you can definitely see a pattern here because you go from Guilds of Ravnica where you're two to one, right? Like we talked about those, the Assassin's Trophy, and the Roscas, and so forth. So there's a, there's and that has no collector's booster and no and and the no. old foil drop rates. You go to Magic 2020, which did not have the collector's boosters, but was the updated foil drop rate. And that's the only set that we have that information for. And it shrinks down to roughly 25, 30% maybe. Um, I think that the... uh, Then you hit Theros and it changes... Changes dramatically, like yeah. like you said, um, things are almost exactly the same price for a, a card and its foil. Yes. Uh, so I the takeaway here is that I, I shouldn't say a takeaway because we have to do some work here. There's going to be more to come, but the 
what we're seeing here is that it definitely moves down. You go from two to one to like 1.3, 1.4 to one to like one to 1.05 or 1.1. You know, Kethis definitely had a change. It was an outlier, I think, because he was specced on pretty hard for Pioneer, but the rest seemed to fit that uh, that archetype. So I think Saffron kind of pointed to this being a collector's booster thing, which I don't think is fully accurate. James responded to him as well and said, no, no, it's the, the foil drop rate, um, which doesn't seem to tell the whole story either. It seems to be kind of a mix of the two. Now, I mean, there's no denying that those foil drop rates, the, the foil drop rates clearly had an impact, but the collector's booster certainly did as well. And I mean, you can tell because of just how many damn foils those boxes produce. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have a... I opened four collector's boosters and I have four box, four collector's boosters boxes. And I have so many Theros foils now. Uh, I mean, those uncommons, like the showcase five kind of uh, enchantment the, creatures, Daxos and those The demigods, guys, yeah. Yeah, are just worthless. They're always going to be worthless because you were basically guaranteed one every single time close to it. So I've got like... I think I've got like eight or nine foil showcase Daxos. Uh, that's in four collector's booster boxes, right? Like it just it just puts so many into the market. What, you know, the question then becomes what do we do with this? What is our takeaway? Uh, foils are... Pr- I don't want to tell you that foils aren't worth specking on out of new sets. It's just, well, so it just, you just have to, what's going to happen is just the ramp. It's just going to take longer, essentially. It's because when you talk about specking on a card, you're looking at the inventory available in the market versus to, you're talking about supply and demand, right? There's always talk about supply and demand. Nowadays, the supply on the foils is just significantly higher than it was. So if you have consistent demand, you know, if the demand for a average mythic today is roughly the the average, the same as the demand for that for a mythic of um, from ten years ago, uh, you know, emeritized across the number of players that are in the game and how many packs are opening, there's just going to be like three times as many foils or twice as many foils today as there was back then. So the supply is much higher, even though the demand is relatively consistent. In the past, where it might have taken two months, three months for those foils to move enough to make a profit, now you're looking at maybe it being a year or two years. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm still going to go back and go, hey, uh, this card from Theros has 25 foil vendors left on TCG Player, and the deck is showing up in Pioneer pretty heavily, and you know, seeing a little bit of play in, in EDH as well. Uh, I think it's worth it. It's just probably going to be longer before I get to say that because we have to burn through so many more copies. And I, I well, you know what? Go ahead. You 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 can speak because I don't want to just take the whole floor permanently. <laughs> um, I think that uh, one thing that we need to think about more going forward is um, the impact of the extended arts on this because, like, the people who want the more unique versions, they, they have choices now. And they have and the the fact that they have the two extra choices, which are I 
want to say only available in the collector boosters, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, but you can get foils from anything. Now you have to, uh, for the, anybody can get the foil in their, their packs and you're going to have more foils floating around. The amount of supply of each of these four versions of a card has told us that the extended art is more desirable than the foil, than the pack foil. And that is surprising to me, indicating that like, what would have happened if uh, we had just increased the foil rates and not introduced um, these other versions? We get what you said with like Soren and Ajani, we get lower prices. But now when you add the uh, extended arts and the extended art foils, you get your pack foil is basically worth the same as the regular card. And that is surprising, I, I guess, because that many people don't necessarily want the foil. It's not like the foil has become cheaper, but I don't think there's a, a, a world where one, where the non-foil and the foil of the regular art one is ever going to be significantly cheaper than the other anymore. It's, I mean, it's, there's more foils than there were, but there's still not, it's not as, like there's that many more, right? Like it's not, at, there aren't as many copies as there are as non-foils. But the, the price would indicate that the demand is the same, which is weird. That the, the, the demand has led to the same price. Like, I can't imagine somebody, um, like, if you need a playset of Embercleave for your for your deck, and um, you're going to go buy them, and you see that, like, the foil one is 16 as opposed to 20 for the non-foil, like, are you going to go ahead and take that plunge? Well, I, I, I'm inclined to, to buy the foils if they're similar price. Just because that's me and it's more interesting, but I guess I get it if other people don't want to go that route. Um, I, 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 yeah, you can look at it and say, well, for every foil copy, there are two non foils on the market now. So there's like twice as many non foils as foils, but the demand for the non foils is twice as high, which keeps them at pretty close parity. So right. there could be some of that going on. We also like we we shouldn't overlook that this is this is new stuff. This is four months old. This whole yeah. four version project, and we we need to let some of the data settle out. Um, it shouldn't be surprising that the most expensive full art foil is still the uh, is it still Fabled Passage? Um, has it uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, it it was neck and neck with um, Oko for a while there, but. Uh, the fact that like Fable Passage has a huge demand in Pioneer, it's pretty good. It's okay in Commander, but like the the fact that that was the big one was the land, and uh, Great Hinge was not far behind at just about a hundred dollars, uh, because that's like I said earlier, that's like the greatest thing you can do in Commander is draw a card every time a creature comes into play for you. Um, you know, it it's going to lead to more copies in general. And I, I think one thing that, that didn't get mentioned in the tweet, because you know it's a tweet, um, there's just more copies. And that means everything is cheaper, which 
can't be overlooked either. Like the people who have the money to spend are driving the prices on some of these, but for a lot of them, like they're still reasonably priced and just the sheer number of extended arts plus plaque foils plus regular non-foils means that they're just more out there. And that is probably, that that's, that's probably a good thing. You have more copies, you have less scarcity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good for the players for the most part. Like yeah. they get, they get more options and they can afford everything more easily. Uh, I, I do wonder if, uh, you know, I'd have, we'd have to do a real deep dive on this and probably, it'll probably take some time for the, like you said, not to, to let some of this mature a little bit and let the market churn through some of the inventory for the differences to become visible. But I wonder if you'll see a pronounced difference in um, EDH versus competitive cards. So maybe your uh, Nyx Bloom Ancient Foils, which we, I already said, didn't I say those were... 22, I think is what you said. Uh, yeah, Nyx Bloom is 1250 and 22. So that's one of the only Theros Foils that has a bigger jump. Um, Nyx Lotus 5 and 830. So... The foils, the casual foils, the EDH foils, I should say, seem to be doing better than the competitive foils, which is uh, makes sense. And I could see that becoming what the trend in that the competitive players never really wanted foil. Like some competitive players wanted foils, but not everybody. They're worried about warping. Now they can play with the extended art copies, extended art non-foils, right? They have another option. So it really takes the wind out of the sails of stuff like Elspeth and Uro pack foils. But then you look at those EDH foils and those players do want the shiny versions. They're much less concerned about the other stuff. They're, you know, they're only buying one or two. They can't, they're more interested in the foil copies and those pack foils will serve, will do much better um, relative to the other foils in the set. So I'll be curious to see if that's how that, if it if that trend carries on and it becomes more clear as we go out, I think that um, Wizards has been looking for a while for a way to give us sweet versions of things without tanking prices the way that the masterpieces did, because everything was a lot cheaper when you could uh, hit the jackpot on a hundred and fifty dollar mana crypt or whatever it was at the time. Um, and they're they're finding they, it's taken them a long time to find the right way to monetize this. But between the secret layers and the collector boosters, they're really figuring out how to do reprints and how to appeal to collectors without doing anything to the core standard player. And that's that's something that makes me happy because we we, well, we use some stability there. That's not true though. Because the the core standard player who opens a pack foil euro that would have been worth ninety dollars in the past doesn't have that out anymore. Whether mm. he opens a pack, whether he That's opens true. a non foil or a foil euro, it's the same price. So th- that all of that extra value is gone. The foils have lost all that extra value, which means if you're cracking packs, normal booster packs, you're getting nothing extra. Well, cracking cracking packs was always a bad idea. Well, Just, but I mean, like, like cracking packs for hoping for value is a bad idea. Like, yes, you lose out on the uh, random 
like holy it, crap, I just paid for the next five drafts. Kind of, I got the foil it, Uro, but you 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 have so many more copies of Uro out there. They just happen to be shiny or extended art or extended art foil. Yeah, yeah, but it also means that the draft that you the draft that you do at home, where you and seven of your buddies each bring three boosters and you draft, has like seventy or eighty dollars less value in the room because all those foils that between the eight of you you open that would have added seventy or eighty bucks to the prize pool value is gone now. So it's not just people cracking packs for fun. It's like any time a booster pack is opened, that value is missing. All right. I, I, I get you on that. Essentially, we have spent pack equity to buy more foils. And by we, I mean Wizards did that. Wizards said, <laughs> we're going to make the packs you open on average less valuable, but you will get more foils. It's just that those foils aren't. They're not valuable anymore. They have less value in them, which is fine, I guess. Like, I don't <laughs> like I, I don't I, you know, that's like, that's kind of the conclusion I come to is this is what has happened. And then the follow up question is, well, what does that mean? Is that good or bad for magic players? And it's like. I think from a from a finance perspective, um, I when I'm thinking about cards that I want to pick up. Uh, while they're cheap, I am not looking at just foils anymore, I suppose. I am going to be looking at either um, the extended arts, or maybe I want to pick up my full art grade hinge, my full art foil grade hinges now before they're $150, but it's hard to get that level of growth on cards like that. Or I'm just going to be looking at the regular ones and hoping that they have the growth along with the pack foils. Because the pack foil is no longer like that that big reveal moment in commander games. I yeah, I I'm I'm trying to decide if this is better or worse for players. I'm inclined to say that it's worse because most players would rather have more value because you're still spending the same amount of money on the booster packs, right? You're still putting three or four bucks into every booster pack. So I think it's worse because for most players, you're getting less for your money. You're getting foils that you didn't want. And in the past, you used to be able to take that foil value and trade it to people who really cared and get more dollars back. You know, you'd be able to take that foil Uro and trade it essentially for almost an entire box. Now you're, you have more foils, but you can't get any more money out of them. And like most players want the value, not the foil. Well, it it seems, which which is, seems good for wizards and bad for players, honestly. I I don't know that I agree with you because I think there's a, a really, like the the fact that foil prices, even at at the old ratio anyway, were driven to the two and a half to three and a half times the the regular ones value, there is a market for people who want the shiny. The question that we have answered now though is, was it just because this was the only premium version available? Because now you have three premium versions available, and it wasn't a question of which one do I like better. It was regular boring dull versus shiny unique cool we, we got kind of a taste of that with um, some of the different frames they tried out 
but those were already so rare that they weren't going to make a big difference. I, I, I like that players have more choices. I like that there are more versions of cards that players can own. I think that is better for players. I think that the... Like, foiling out a deck is no longer going to be the um, be-on, end-all, and, like, truly amazing accomplishment that it was. Like, I used to say that foiling out a deck was, like, a relatively safe thing to do in terms of value. And now, like, if if you only built a deck from cards in the collector booster era, then it means the same as a regular deck. And that is a huge change. And some players who like just the shiny of things will think it's great, but I, I'm going to agree with you and I, I don't necessarily like this <laughs> viewpoint, but like that um, we do lose out on the holy crap. I do open a foil row. That's that's a whole new box. That's ninety dollars. I can trade this for, you know, something really expensive. Whatever the case may be that you were going to do with that money. Yeah, I I like the idea of there being more versions. That seems good for players. Ultimately, having traded pack equity for more foil cards. Seems like it's not going to be something that's going to pay off most players because most players don't want them. Uh, and the players who it's great for the players who wanted foils, but I think there's a lot fewer of those than there were the, the others. I think the players were craving some form of premium, some sort of like special version. And for the longest, they only had foils to go to. And whether that was a judge foil, whether that was an expedition, like when you had multiple versions of things. Um, you could see it settle down. You can kind of see that with um, the Shocklands. Uh, I was looking at prices of foil Shocklands, and um, like original Ravnica block Shocklands are ridiculously expensive. But then the Return to Ravnica and the Guilds of Ravnica versions are incredibly reasonably priced. So there is some market. It's just not as strong, and there's always going to be some collector version of magic players that will want to just buy whatever the most expensive thing is because that's what has the biggest wow factor you know I, and i i'm certainly not immune to it i i, I have uh, i think a box topper cavern of souls in every one of my commander decks because it's just sweet <laughs> and um i'm i'm not immune to that and i I get to pick what I want, and I, I like that feeling too, because I have multiple versions I can choose from. Right. Uh, hmm. But you're right. Uh, losing out on the opening a booster pack and getting that is uh, a probably the biggest loss to players. Yeah. But, and that is, but we we get back um, the fact that there are multiple versions that you can get and like would you agree that like Embercleave we talked about if say it's twenty dollars right now, um, there are more foils of it and there are extended art versions of it. Do you think if we didn't have those extra copies that it would be twenty five or thirty? Well, uh, are you saying that the collectors boosters are gone entirely, but that the foil drop rate is the new increased version? Um I think because, that, like, okay. We I see know what, what we know what the we know what we know what the prices we kind of know what the prices are supposed to look like at each price point, right? Or in each distribution model, like we know what Magic Twenty Twenty 
rates look like. We know what Gills of Ravnica look like. We know what rates today look like. So we kind of have an idea of where they all fall. I think I pro you know, I I think the best out best setup for the players would have been collectors boosters not increasing the foil drop rate in packs and in fact possibly decreasing foil pack rate drops. Ooh, that's an idea. Um might have been the way to go with that. Uh, but the problem is then you're front-loading all of the premium value in collector's boosters. Yeah, that would that would shoot the collector's boosters which, up a lot higher. Which but like that's but that's fine. I don't have a problem with that specifically because the prices on those singles will will it'll spread out appropriately. The issue then is that your packs rarely have a fun treat now. <laughs> uh, so it's really I think that I think what would have been best for the players is introducing the extended art treatment, but doing it in such a way that didn't add additional foils to the market. Like if we if we treat the pre-core 2020 distribution as essentially ideal as the right distribution of the the right uh point on the on the intersection the section of price and supply then the best way to do this would have been to add extended arts without adding additional foils okay right think- does that make sense like basically like if they had if they hadn't done anything to the foils at all and just added extended arts in some capacity, maybe as secret layer drops, then you would get to keep the same foil numbers you have today pretty much and also add this additional thing for players that they that really want to collect it can go for. You'd probably see a bit of a pro- foil loss because people would go buy – some number of people would buy extended arts instead of foils. So the foils right. would, would, would come down a little bit there. Uh, I but, think, but I got to tell you, this model seems best for wizards, which is why I think we're looking at it. Oh yeah, this this is you know this in secret layer, like they are proving that they are figuring out like they they tried mythic edition and that didn't work, and now they're just really going to the um, we're going to make a very small amount of one thing, and actually actually secret layer is printed demand, so you get uh, you get it if you want it, which can you believe it took Wizards, uh, what, 27 years? No, uh, 94, so 26 years. It took them 26 years to get to a we-will-print-as-much-as-people-want model of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, so let me ask you, let me phrase this differently. Would you want... Uh, Wizards has decided to sell you more foils and you didn't get a choice. They put more foils in your packs and in your magic collection and you're paying for them, but you didn't get to opt into that. I mean, how much, how many options do I have with wizards as it is? Well, I, from where we were before it has changed. They are giving you more foils and they're giving you less money. They're giving you, (laughs) less yes. value okay. in your product. Like I just that that's kind of the, the the point that I keep coming back to and I'm trying to think of different ways to sort of highlight it. But essentially you, they've made you buy foils that you didn't necessarily want. 
Okay. I think that's a that's a summary of where we're at right now, and we need to see if that continues, you know, because getting more foils, but um, those foils being worth less as opposed to worthless um, is notable and something to keep in mind. You know, we're, I don't think we're opening more booster packs, but um, the collector's boosters sure are affecting things. And especially in the foil rate plus the collector's boosters is really changing what we should expect on these cards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and again, I guess I'll just touch on this one more time before we wrap up, is that the uh, the takeaway here is that it's going to be harder for foils to be valuable, but it doesn't mean that it will be impossible. It just means that you just keep an eye on the supply, and when the supply is doing what you want, um, well, you, we, know, you can still We see that then. with the with Nixplomation. Like, that's a commander card through and through, there, and uh, you can see that there's a difference between the foil and the non-foil. Because yep. commander players, like, I don't know how many of them had to buy this right now, but there's still enough of them who are like, I must have it. Plus, you know, it's the enchantment frame. That always looks good in foil. Um, you know, it, it is a real thing. And I think that we will only see the significant foil bump on the most commandery, the most casually appealing cards, things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. The 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 casual cards like Nyx Blue Mansion, the very EDH centric cards, will be the the place to go. Like that'll be the play. That'll be that will. Those will be the foils that recoup the most of their damage. Right. But it looks like set like pack foils are just are just dead in the water at this point. At least, you know, you probably have to get a year or two out. But okay. Uh, that is a lot on this. And I have a strong feeling when James comes back from vacation, he's going to want to talk about this some more. So. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to just refer him to our 40-minute conversation on the topic and tell him we said everything he meant to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, that'll stop him. <laughs> right. uh, where can our listeners find you, Cliff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander or my uh, Casual Fridays articles that go up every Friday on mtgprice.com. All right. And I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I do this here podcast every week. I'd like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per, per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will absolutely drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Uh, we did our credit giveaway. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Don't forget to use the code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That is the end for now, Travis. It is always a pleasure to fill in when somebody is taking their Hogak money and going off to an island someplace. <laughs> uh, James is not with us on the cast, but he is with us in spirit and on the Discord and tweeting a whole bunch. I don't know what his definition of a vacation is. 
Uh, I think he's surfing in Hawaii. But <laughs> while tweeting at Saffron Olives. God bless yes. you, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was planning on like trying to. Re- he's like, oh, if I'm in, you know, when I'm in Hawaii, I'll see if I can set up a time to record with you. I'm like, you can oh my god, Hawaii. Like, there's a six-hour difference. Yeah, like, that too. That too. Yes, that too. <laughs> All right. Uh, that brings us to the end of episode 206. Cliff, thanks so much for coming. I thought it was a, a great chat. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and I will probably see you again next week. Oh, next week too. And uh, if you're planning on coming to MTG Re- to Magic Fest Reno, I'll be there with a the giant cube draft sign. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, everybody. You all have a nice night. Uh, and thank you for listening to MTG Fest Finance. Thank <laughs> you.